We'll finish out the chapter this evening looking at verses 13 to 18 tonight. James chapter 3, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Father, as we look to your word, as we continue in our study of James, we pray that we would have open hearts to receive your word. And as we look at the, the comparison of wisdom this evening, we even now call out for your wisdom. We need it. We cling to it. And we pray that you would help us uh, to repeal the uh, to subdue the evil of this world that so easily tempts us. So, Father, we ask for your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. So, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, verse 13, let him show his works in the meekness or humility of wisdom. Uh, He should show his good works by good conduct with wisdom's gentleness. So, in chapter 2, when we have looked here in the past few weeks, James has hit hard on the believer's faith. And even last week, we saw the focus on the power of our tongue and how it's used. And now at the end of chapter 3, James hits on the believer's wisdom. Who are my ping pong players tonight? People that like playing ping pong? Yeah. So ping pong's one of those things that no one really is like, I'm a ping pong player. Like, I, I'm like the real deal. Like, you don't want to play me. Most people are like, yeah, I play ping pong, right? I played a lot in college because when you go to college in the frozen tundra of northeast Wisconsin in winter, there's not a lot to do. So you stay inside and you play ping pong. So that's something that, that as I would do, you would, you would play people and, and you would say, hey, that, that person's a really good player. But there's never someone that was like, I'm a really good ping pong player. Like, take notice. There's people that, you know, soccer or basketball, they're like, hey, I, I'm good. Like, I play a lot. Ping pong just doesn't seem to be one of those things that you really brag about or tell people about. So maybe you're like, hey, uh, I'm a ping pong player, but maybe it's because you're better than the three or four people that you normally play. And that's why you think you're a ping pong player. But you're not the best in our county, state, or nationally to represent Team USA in the Summer Olympics in table tennis. Or maybe that's why, because I'm not saying table tennis and I'm saying ping pong. And if you say I'm a table tennis player, maybe that would be something to be a little bit more of, hey, yeah, that's me. I'm a, I'm a table tennis player. As we see here with what James is getting at here, if we, we were to ask even with that example, who's a, big, a, a good ping pong player? It would probably be mixed responses as it was when I asked. But I also imagine if it would be a mixed response tonight if we answered James' question here in verse 13 of who's wise and understanding. Who would raise their hands for that? So if the, if the question maybe was, who has some wisdom? Okay, maybe we get some more hands that would be raised. That, since many of us have intellectual wisdom, 
a good head on our shoulders. We store up knowledge and can use it when we want. We know a thing or two just from the experience that we've had over the years of living life. But that's not what James is getting at here in James chapter 3. You don't look at a person and say, oh, they're a wise person by the wrinkles on their forehead or the lack of hair or just older. You say, okay, that person's a wise person. We don't look at people and say they're wise. We identify those who are wise among us because of their actions. It's what they do. Let him show his works, James says here in verse 13. And James wants us to see that wisdom is not simply knowing things. But instead, wisdom is going to, going to show by the means of our actions, by our good conduct. Wise, here in verse 13, means our knowledge and view of things that we have intersecting with our practice, actions, and decisions that you and I make on a day-to-day basis. And the understanding here is taking the knowledge that wise people have and giving it experience and ability living it out. So he wants us to see a living wisdom. It's a wisdom that's backed up by the way we conduct ourselves, by the way that we live our lives. And this isn't the first time that James has talked about wisdom. He touched first on it right out of the gates in James chapter 1, verses 5 and 8. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And then we read, as we read chapter 3, verse 13 tonight, and it feels similar to the end of chapter 1, where James says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So the way that we conduct ourselves will manifest whether or not we are people of understanding and people that are wise. Our actions will show that. But James also says in verse 13 that we do so with meekness and humility. The Holman Christian Standard Bible reads, with wisdom's gentleness. So James's point here is for the believer to have a healthy understanding of one's own unworthiness before God. And with that, then, a corresponding humility and a lack of pride in one's dealing with others. So a daily gospel perspective in my life, when I am rehearsing the gospel, meditating on the gospel on a day-in, day-out basis, this gives me the approach to my life because I am reminded of how wicked I am in my sin apart from Christ. I will have this humility. I will have this meekness when I'm reflecting on the gospel. I want, if I want God's wisdom, wisdom from above, I must ask for it, as we saw in James chapter 1, verse 5, just a second ago, and I must spend time with my God. So this gentle, meek, and humility-based wisdom will result in teachability and responsiveness, responsiveness to God's word. So James's litmus test for a truly wise person was the essentialness of humility permeating through a believer's life. Someone that's wise, they have knowledge, but they're living it out, they're fleshing it out, and they're doing it with humility. And they're marked by that. So I ask you, are you a wise person? Am I a wise person? A person of understanding that puts action to knowledge? So how do you or I know tonight? If my life is marked by God-given, gospel-produced humility, that's what James tells us in our passage.
So we've seen the first layer of heavenly wisdom. Now in verse 14, we see the contrasting earthly, worldly wisdom. Verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth or deny the truth. So when we look ahead to the beginning of chapter 4, which we'll get to here in, in the next week or so, it seems like this is not hypothetical, but it's more so a reality for the churches that James is addressing here. This bitter jealousy is characterized in one's life by seeking the best for myself, even if it's not the best for those that are around me, even to the point of wanting others to never have more than what I have, or to even have less than what I have. Uh, Also manifesting an inflated view of one's own own opinion that has no room for anyone else's opinion. I think I know the best in every situation, and that trumps anybody else's opinion on a matter. So when you then combine bitter jealousy with selfish ambition here, James says it's an all-out anger-filled competition, watching out... (laughs) For number one, watching out for yourself, pushing others down for the purpose that I myself, that that I can be exalted even higher than those I'm pushing down and creating a greater divide between myself and those that are around me. This is a stark contrast. Just one verse ago to verse 13 of the heavenly wisdom that James is telling us about. He tells us that where these ambitions stem from here in verse 14, they stem from our fleshly sin-cursed hearts. That's where this kind of wisdom originates. Most likely there were key individuals in the churches hearing this letter that were instructing and guiding the church for wrong reasons. This would make sense in the first verse of chapter 3, which we've already looked at, that we saw that the judgment that comes to those who teach. Beware of those who teach of the, of the condemnation, the judgment that you will receive for teaching. So the message given to those that have this worldly wisdom is not to brag and lie in defiance of the truth. Don't hide the truth with lies. These individuals in the church are already are all about themselves, and it needs to stop. Because it's damaging the truth of God's word and the church's mission to one another and to those that, uh, that need to hear the gospel. Verse 15, James says, This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. James is pointing us back to chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, where God is seen as the one who pours out, gives good gifts from above. So by pointing us back to those verses, James is encouraging the viewpoint of wisdom being God's gift from above that he gives to us. And that divine wisdom has a heavenly source. It's not from this earth. It's not from this world. It's from heaven. If the wisdom of verse 14 isn't from heaven, well, then where is it from? And how is it characterized? And James describes it in three ways here. He says, first of all, that it's earthly. When we say earthly here, meaning that this kind of wisdom shuts out God. It has no room for God. It's already full of itself and full of oneself. And it limits its scope to the things of this earth. He also says that it's unspiritual. So this kind of wisdom lacks the life of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not involved in in this kind of wisdom. It's not supernatural, but instead it is natural and unspiritual. 
And we also see that this earthly, worldly wisdom is demonic. It is a wisdom that is inspired by Satan and his demons. It's earthbound, spiritually dead, and demon-inspired. These three adjectives are the believer's greatest obstacles in the Christian life. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Verse 16, James continues, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice, every kind of evil. James is back to talking about the qualities of earthly wisdom that he did in verse 14. He states that self-seeking will invariably produce chaos. It's going to happen. It's inevitable. It will lead people to lesser actions instead of nobler actions, better actions. And this is the kind of attitude and approach that has a twofold effect. First, it taints the credibility with the unbelieving world outside the church. They see this consuming those that are in the church with this perspective and this, this approach. And it also it will also hamper the ability of the church to effectively minister to its own. Because they're just consumed about themselves. Not about the things of the Lord and not about God's wisdom coming, but they're just watching out for themselves. Verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So after the darkness and futility of earthly wisdom, James picks up where he left off in verse 13 by telling us that the wisdom worth seeking for our lives, it comes from heaven. Using a reverse order of the word phrase in verse 15, and he ultimately is pointing back once again to chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. We're also even taken back to James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. If any of you lack wisdom, where do you go? Who do you ask? Let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. James wants the church to know that wisdom comes from being with God, spending time with him, getting to know him. A life marked with communion with God before his throne, knowing his words for me and crying out for his wisdom daily upon my life. That's what I want my life to be marked by. That's what I want for my life. And I think this is what Solomon was getting at in Proverbs chapter 2. Turn there with me, if you will. Keep your finger there in James chapter 3 and turn to Proverbs chapter 2. Solomon echoing what we're reading here. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Are you desperate for God's wisdom tonight? 
as even Solomon was, was calling out for it there, of desperately needing and wanting God's wisdom because true wisdom only comes from him. And this wisdom from above is motivated by a gospel-focused humility. If the characterizations of wisdom given by James in verse 17 sound familiar to other parts of our New Testament, you would be right. We also see evidence of this in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, even the fruits of the Spirit that Paul mentions. So when you think about Matthew chapter 5 and Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we see, first of all, here in, in our verse of, of pure, the, in its first, that God's wisdom is pure. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Jesus said, The pure in heart are blessed, for they will see God. We see that there's this, this peaceableness, peace-loving, uh, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, the peacemakers are blessed for they will be called sons of God. So this wisdom from God that is peaceable and is marked by that is non-combative, not filled with strife like worldly wisdom. God's wisdom is also gentle. Matthew 5, 5, the gentle are blessed for they will inherit the earth. So this gentleness is one that could be possessing of, of getting a retaliation to someone. They've been wronged. They forego their rights because of the grace and peace that God has given. They're gentle with their response. They're considerate, thinking of others. It's also open to reason. Matthew 5, 7, the poor in spirit are blessed for, their, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So this aspect, this attribute of God's wisdom is accommodating, compliant, hearing out those that are around us, not just thinking or, or hearing what I'm saying to myself, but what others are saying. And this is a contrast from what we've seen in the last couple verses of the approach of earthly wisdom. We also see full of mercy, an attribute of God's wisdom. Matthew 5, 7, Jesus said, the merciful are blessed for they will be shown mercy. Instead of being full of mercy and good fruits as the byproduct of heavenly wisdom, earthly wisdom that we looked at produces strife and evil actions. So just as false wisdom shows its origination by its results, so does heavenly wisdom sent by God. It shows by its results, by living out in our lives. And that can only come from spending time with God, with calling out to him, asking him for his wisdom. And this is what James tells us makes up the components of heavenly wisdom. As we see lastly, this full of good fruits, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Matthew 5, 6 says, are blessed for they will be filled. And then lastly, we see that God's wisdom is also impartial and sincere with no favoritism shown, non-judgmental, and not double-minded or mixed with hypocrisy. But God's wisdom is authentic, it's genuine, it's real, it's what we need, it's sincere. Lastly, verse 18, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace, who cultivate peace. In verse 14, we saw the description of false earthly wisdom along with its consequences in verse 16, a few verses later. Here we see a similar layout with the traits of true godly wisdom, wisdom that comes from above, and along with the results of God's wisdom in verse 18. 
His wisdom that he gives to believers results in peace and righteousness. What is right, what is pleasing to God, and what's also good for us as God's people. That's what's going to be the byproduct, the result of God's wisdom in our lives. So some might think that this mean, this to mean uh, peace at all costs in our relationship. I just have to have peace uh, regardless of what it costs, um, even if it's at the cost of avoiding truth, avoiding conviction. When tensions rise, we de-escalate the situation. Calm down, calm down. Everybody just needs to get along approach. Well, that's not biblical when we look at it in the sense of when there's the truth of God and his word, that needs to be the first thing here. The first quality trait of God's wisdom here is that it's pure. And James makes the point to say that it's the first trait because it's the foundation that all the other traits of God's wisdom stand upon is um, that God's wisdom is pure. It's untainted. So I ask you this evening, are you pursuing after God's wisdom? Are you pursuing it for yourself personally, in your relationships, in your marriage, with your parents, with your kids, with your work? How about this, with your church family? Is your life showing the fruit of heavenly wisdom? Or is your life sowing the earthly wisdom that you're engrossed in? Because it's going to come out. The results of our lives is going to show whether we are buying in to the lie of earthly wisdom that comes from this world or if we've invested into the wisdom from above that God gives to us graciously when we ask for it. James says that this pursuit will lead to peace in our relationships. But we need God's help to remove earthly wisdom this uh, wisdom that's more about me and me getting my way, and we need to replace it with his heavenly wisdom that only he can give us as we rest in him and spend time with him. We need his wisdom that is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And may we not sow the results of the world's wisdom, which are evil and disorder, but instead harvest peace and righteousness in our relationships with those around us this evening.